0: I'm only happy when it rains. I'm only happy when it's complicated. I know, I know, you can't appreciate it. I'm only happy when it
1: rains. You know, I love it when the news is bad. All right, welcome again to the Southwest climate podcast, as always, Mike Crimmins.
2: Hey, Zach. How you doing? I'm doing
1: well. How are you doing?
2: Good. It's your least favorite month. How are you? uh, How are you hanging in
1: there? (laughs) You know, surprisingly, it hasn't felt that bad.
2: Because it it hasn't been that bad.
1: (laughs) My God, it's like, you know, actually, we'll get into this. But June has kind of flipped the script. This June has flipped the script for me in a lot of ways. Like, so we're this is the I don't know what to call this like the kickoff monsoon edition or like the first quarter monsoon edition or you know it's the the pre it's not the preseason that's the thing that changed for me like now yeah. i'm thinking about june as an integral part of the monsoon and always before before this year i was really dismissive of the signs in june but something changed for me this year
2: yeah cuz you're cuz you're like in the weather Probably.
1: (laughs) Well, I think we'll get into this when we talk about the monsoon, but I think, and I may say this again, but um, I'm usually a very big skeptic of seasonal forecasts when it comes to the monsoon, but I find more credibility in them this year than I ever have in the past.
2: And I am so with you. And and we will talk about that. Like I would have, you know, poo-pooed this Kind of cool June thinking oh, it's gonna flip any day now because it can. Well, I mean it technically will because it's third week of June. We're talking it's gonna get hot <laughs>
1: the next couple of well, weeks. Well it is by, next week, next yeah. early next week it's forecasted to be in Tucson in the you know 110, 12 range, right?
2: Yep, yep. And it's <clears> been <throat> <so> hot <throat> in
1: other places, and this is part of the part of the story, like Texas, Absolutely. Mexico, massive heat wave yeah which is part of the story I think of of what we'll talk about with the monsoon. So before that, spot on. Yep. Um, okay, so a little bit about the May-June recap as a as a foreground, really for you know the most exciting time in the southwest, uh the monsoon season which is um you know officially started and on the near horizon when it will come is an open-ended question. It will come, when it will come is an open-ended question. So then we'll, we'll we'll proceed to talk a little bit about the monsoon. Uh it, it'd be worth us reviewing um some of the dynamics and just the general character of the monsoon. And then uh you know I want to get into Mike uh you know our pessimism or optimism about the 2023 season. Uh and you know we didn't talk about it last time but it's worth just noting uh the hurricane forecast which is part of the monsoon story at least for us. In the latter uh, latter part of the monsoon season, particularly September, and then follow that up with uh, the burgeoning El Nino event, and you know its trajectory. Some there's some indications that it might actually even be a strong El Nino, maybe not a super El Nino, but you know some of the some of the models do uh, point to uh, super El Nino. Uh, so maybe we'll we'll interrogate that a little bit. And obviously all of these things are interrelated, the monsoon, the, the, the June and uh, the May and June conditions, the, the hurricanes and, and so are all wrapped up. So we may not do this uh, linearly, uh, but we'll get to it. How So does that
2: is, it, is it super El Nino or mega El Nino?
1: I've never heard mega El Nino. I don't
2: know.
1: I mean, that I just made one? it
2: up. I don't know. Is super El Nino a thing?
1: I think super El Nino is a thing.
2: Is it? Why is it not mega? Like we, we do not. We don't we don't use our prefixes very consistently in climate.
1: No, Mega would you know? Okay, so so ninety seven, ninety eight, the eighty, what was it? Eighty five, eighty six, and the what was the one in the two thousands? The Godzilla. Oh,
2: Godzilla El Nino. Yeah, that's yeah. true. Oh, should we start using that one again? Or well, no,
1: see that was that was like.
2: It's a one timer.
1: Yeah, that was one, and that, yeah. I thought that was kind of wonky. Okay. Yeah, Hokey okay. is a better word. Okay. No, there is the the, the Super El Ninos. Um, I, I believe I've seen that thrown around quite a bit these days. I've never heard of it. I
2: don't know what the rules are because, you know, we have Mega Drought, Super El Nino. Do we have no, Mega El Nino?
1: Super Drought? It's a super Mega. No, there's no rules. You just get the, you know, okay. you, you have to come up with like a really sort of catchy name and then it sticks, right? Like
2: I thought Godzilla was pretty good. All right. I'm going to work on this for next time. It's hokey. Okay. All
1: right. Um, remember there was like the blob and Godzilla and they were like oh that's right.
2: I yeah, I think we had, had a whole podcast. Right, on like
1: that. the blob was like a big big regional North Pacific
2: heat wave yeah.
1: anomaly, and, and the yep. Godzilla was El Nino was in the tropics. They were had countervailing impacts on what was happening, who who was gonna win out. It was it was pretty hooky.
2: It's science, man. <laughs>
1: <laughs> all right. So it, did I miss anything in that outline?
2: No, it's all, let's do it.
1: All right. So let's go, uh, let's go back and, and do the May-June recap, uh, Mike, and uh, talk a little bit about uh, what's been different. And we can touch upon the uh, mid-May event. Because if you look back in May and June, right? So we're coming at you last week in June, close to the last week in June, June 23rd. Hopefully, we'll get this pot out within the next week. We basically had one rain event of note in May and June. May was uh, mid-May. I think it was on May eighteenth, seventeenth, or eighteenth around there. It was relatively a regional event. Tucson, some parts in um, it was more in Tucson, I think, than it was in, in Phoenix, but also Flagstaff, all the way over to Albuquerque and and whatnot, so it was a regional event. That's That was the only um, rainfall event of note in, in May. And since then, there hasn't been a lick of rain for many, I, you know, looking at rain log there, uh, there wasn't any rain in the last, uh, since then uh, ac- ac- across Arizona. So Mike, do we wanna talk a little bit about I'm pretty sure we talked about the May event.
2: <laughs> we, we we may have so maybe I can just touch on it again. Yeah, real go, quickly. go
1: over what was what were the conditions then?
2: Well, we the spring just won't end across the Southwest. We've been in, in perpetual spring, waiting for that ridge to build it up from uh, the south, and I think we're just getting the taste of it coming up now. But back in in. Um, in May, we were seeing a real active jet stream pattern across the Western US. So, it kind of troughs and ridges building and, and subsiding. But we, we've had a um, kind of a persistent trough off of the California coast. Sometimes it'd move inland, sometimes it'd move over to the Southwest, sometimes it'd retrograde. And so, as you go from the trough and you go towards the east, you're going to see a ridge sort of build up towards the north. And so, what ended up happening in May which was quite interesting, was that the trough deepened, the ridge got quite pronounced and built all the way up into Canada. And that was actually the beginning of the trouble for Canada with the wildfires, really starting to bake under that big ridge here. And we had a little low pressure system break off and sneak underneath the ridge. And then that puts you into a blocking pattern. And that uh, that cut off low pressure system typically doesn't have um, much moisture to work with, but actually grabbed some moisture from the east and pulled it all the way into the southwest and then caused a rain event that, uh, you know, it was a couple of days of light rain, some, some isolated heavy rain, some lightning in May. It, it, it looked a little monsoony, it felt a little monsoony, it was not the monsoon. And, you know, we picked up a little bit of precipitation in parts of the southwest. So that, that was kind of it for May. I do want to make sure our friends in New Mexico, we do get we, we're we're giving you the nod that eastern New Mexico has been very wet. And so that's that kind of Great Plains springtime wet signal, which has reached into eastern New Mexico. And they've had quite a few days of rain all the way up through the early part of the month. And you know, since probably the 10th of June, it really has. Uh, started to dry out the ridge is building a little bit further north now we're starting to see the temperatures climb back up because that ridge is replacing that cooler low pressure trough that's been hanging out here which has been giving us the really mild spring weather all the way up through the third week of June
1: yeah that's right and and that event in May it doesn't happen very often but it wasn't completely uh unprecedented I I I think I, I looked at the the data for Tucson, at least. And there had been a number of like nine, nine years out of, you know, 70 or so that um whatever the data set was in which there had been like a half an inch of rain. And that's what fell at at, at the airport. And again, like this isn't just, I'm using Tucson as sort of a, a proxy for um, other areas too. Um Obviously, they, they received different rainfall events, but it was Uh, an event that dropped rain uh, across the Southwest for the reasons that you noted. And and yeah, we were in this sort of persistent, low pressure kind of pattern. And yeah, that helped. One of the things that's been different uh, about this spring than in the past springs, and and part of the reason why that this (laughs) June hasn't been so bad is that it's been, um, it hasn't been as hot. You know, we have yet to experience that massive heat wave, I think it's 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 knocking on the on the door though, and I think we're going to experience it uh, next week. Um, yeah, but yeah, so it's the the temperatures themselves regionally have been um, have been cooler than at least the last last couple years. I, I think in some areas they they've actually been slightly above average, um, but just slightly above average makes it feel cool given that the the trends that we've we've experienced you know and the other thing uh yeah so june june has been dry and that is actually the norm uh so no rain <laughs> in, in june and i think i i i counted like 80 of the 100 and so this is a different data set but looking at um NOAA data they they had 100 and um, on the national weather S- uh, service site they had 120 129 um, years of, of, of record, and I, I think I counted 81 of those that had in June less than a, a tenth of an inch. So, so pretty common. Uh, obviously, everybody that listens to this knows that June is is, is our driest month. So, um, so so nothing out of the ordinary there. You know what I think is somewhat interesting, Mike, is that we haven't talked about this in a while, but the fire season has been fairly suppressed this year. You know we've got like four fires burning right now. I think the total number of acreage is something like thirty thousand, uh, which is, you know, we're nearing our peak in and mon- in, in, in the fire season. It typically takes a dive as soon as a, uh, the monsoon starts, um, and so what the monsoon will do has clear implications for our fire uh, ac- activities. You know, just thirty thousand acres as of today. N- New Mexico is a little bit more. Off the top of my head, I think it's around 60,000 acres. New Mexico on historically experiences slightly mo- uh, slightly more uh, acres burned per year than than, than Arizona does, uh, but they're they're below averages uh, as well. Most of that acreage is 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 burning or has burned in the the Wilbur Fire, uh, which I think is mm-hmm. in the Gila. So yeah, so the you know it's we had a wet winter, we had a, a wet monsoon, you know, that's probably, we had a, a cooler than average uh, spring season, so that's probably partially what's contributing to uh, the lower fire season. In, any Anything you want to add about the fires?
2: Yeah, you, you just hit all the, the, the kind of the key metrics there. You know, we could have come out of last winter very wet and had a hot, dry spring and could have baked out you know, a lot more of that soil moisture and gotten ourselves into maybe a slightly more active fire season through May and early June, you know, even up to this point. But if you look at some of the metrics that firefight, the firefighting community, wildland firefighting community uses across the Southwest uh, fire management community, they use um, a, an, a metric called the energy release component. Mm-hmm. And that that's a that's a slowly moving metric that's trying to get at, kind of the, the fire risk in terms of fuels, right? So if fuels are very wet, you'll have a very low energy release component and if fuels are very dry, it'll be very high. And so I've been kind of watching them through the season and they were below, they crept up to slightly above sort of seasonal progression in April when we started to heat up a little bit, but a lot of them backed way off in May and then dropped significantly. We had a little bit of that moisture come in in May as well. And so across almost all the Southwest we're below the seasonal peak of that fire metric. And so that's kind of telling the story. So there've been some lightning starts in different parts of the Southwest and largely the land management uh, agencies in those specific areas have been using them for what we call wildland fire use, which is just letting them burn kind of as a prescription to try to clear out some of that underbrush. There's been quite a bit of activity with actually trying to do prescribed burning across the Southwest, because these are the right conditions to do it, where you've got just enough dryness in the air to sustain a fire, but it's not too wet on the ground that they'll, they'll go out of control. It's only been kind of in the last week or so, things have really started to kind of pick up and it's gotten quite a bit drier. The heat's just on, we're on the doorstep of that heat. And we've had a couple of lower elevation grass fires that are that are getting carried by the wind. So I think, I think the fire management community is getting a little itchier now. And um, this kind of plays into our discussion with the monsoon, too, is that if it comes in late, it actually it could be a bit busier over the next three or four weeks, um, depending on how you know all these conditions shake out. I don't think we're looking at major torching of like upper elevation forests which are still probably pretty wet but you know if if there's some dead fuel or some of those grasses I think they could carry some fires over the next couple of weeks.
1: Yeah just looking at the median dates for the end of the large fire season from the um, southwest coordination center so this is the what is this Mike I always forget the overarching Organization that leads so their
2: National Interagency Fire Center, and yeah. they are a geographic area coordination center,
1: right? And so they've got the the median dates for the end of the large fire season. Basically, east the eastern half of Arizona is um, July fifteenth, mid July, and then northwest Arizona is like July twenty one ish, July twenty three, and then like the Yuma sort of the southwest corner is 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 August, and then. Uh, New Mexico is a little bit earlier, so the western half of New Mexico is more or less the, the first week of July. So, but those are those are typical, and and again, like we said before, the onset of the monsoon uh, and when it starts up and in in, uh, in in full is is pretty um, is uh, it's pretty determinative of when uh, the fire season will 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 tamp down. So, just a little bit about. Just to put the 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 acres burned so far in, in its historical context, on average, Arizona um, experiences about 250 acres uh, that's burned each year, pretty high variance. You know, I think uh, 2020, the year that the really dry monsoon here, the one that's imprinted on my memory as like the worst case scenario, um, that was the year. That the the most acres have burned. It oh no, it's it's close to the most acres. So it's 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 close to 2011, uh, 2011, 2020 were above 900,000 acres. So again, we're right now like around 30,000 acres. So um, we're way below average. Of course, there's still some time, uh, and fires do burn after the the monsoon starts, but not not nearly as much. And New Mexico. You know, I said this wrong. Um, actually, Arizona historically burns more acres than than in New Mexico. So New Mexico on average is close to 200,000. So I flipped those just to clean that up a little bit. So yeah, the fire, uh, fire situation has, you know, it's good news uh, for, for the most part. And then, you know, we've talked about this before, but droughts in like a very favorable situation. And there's been, really been no change in in drought from the last time we talked about it. Um, you know, we came out of you know good winter uh, falling on the heels of a, of a really you know generational monsoon. Uh, nearly all of Arizona and most of New Mexico is 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 not classified as a drought condition. We don't tend to see drought increase at this time of year just because historically it's dry. You you know you it's, it's hard to have drought when you don't have any rain and and uh, I, you know, the soils are already dry to begin with. So, so we wouldn't expect much uh, much movement there. Anything you want to say about drought?
2: No, it's nice to not have to talk about it right yeah. now. I'll take a break.
1: You know, I thought it was worth hitting a little bit, though, about the kind of climate moment du jour, which is the heat wave that's going on. Uh, in Mexico and parts of Texas, uh, because I think that plays into where we are thinking about the monsoon and the monsoon progression, uh, Mike. So have you been following this? I mean, you know, Mexico has had record-breaking temperatures for the last week, if not 10 days. And it's been in this persistently, this heat dome that people have been talking about, you know, and that's that's also been in Texas for the most part, uh, Southern Eastern Texas uh, and much of Texas Anything you want to talk about there, like what's maybe driving that? this is the position of the ridge obviously, but any any sort of um, nuance there, like why has it been so persistent why 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 there this 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 year and not in past years
2: yeah i I don't know I've been trying to so I think you and I both we look south this time of the year because we're we're trying to look for the progression of that subtropical ridge to move north, and it starts in Mexico and it starts to then kind of march north, you know, we're at the uh, we had solstice just two days ago. That sun angle increasing starts to heat up and we start to see the whole mid-latitude circulation pattern relax a little bit, jet stream will pull north and kind of yield to this building ridge. It's just been all kinked up right now, so we've got this kind of troughiness and these low pressure systems right at the mid latitudes that are that are really, I think, um working against that progression of that ridge. So it is the monsoon ridge stuck over uh Mexico right now. And it's just kind of getting cranked down and increasing that subsidence and really baking those temperatures. Why is it doing it at that point? I I don't know. I think that the attribution is going to have to get sorted out a little bit. I think El Nino is actually flexing right now. So we were talking about this before the podcast. It has come on quite strong and has exerted itself in the atmosphere across the eastern Pacific. And it could be uh, part of the reason that we're seeing this delay in the progression north. It's, it's retarding the development of the monsoon rains in Mexico, which would lead to some of that cooling and it's they're just stuck they're stuck under that heat film like you said and some of the um the temperatures i heard forecasts were you know were astronomical they were like 115 to 120 i mean i guess we've seen it in arizona but we don't want anybody else to see it uh and i've heard power production is straining because of cooling and it's yeah it's a huge problem huge problem right now and it's hopefully it will it'll um start to resolve a little bit as we get further in there but this has been persistent and it could, it could persist for uh, a bit longer.
1: So I'm remembering when I started this, thinking about climate in the Southwest, wasn't soon thereafter, like maybe 2013, maybe 2014, there was a, a really big drought that was fueled in part by extreme heat. Maybe not extreme, but just persistently warm temperatures. Um, is there any analogs to that? Do you remember that drought? I don't. I'm, you're better at these these historical references in terms of time than I am. But I'm just trying to think back the last time that you know Texas and it's at this time oh, of year. Yeah.
2: So so I th- I think you're reaching back to the 2011. I think drought. it could be it could be 2011. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so the, the 2011 that was a um that was really it was kind of a winter spring into into summer drought It so had well. started so, earlier. Yeah, it was much more protracted and it was actually connected over a couple years too cuz that was um right around that time was a back-to-back La Niña and um had some fingerprints and that you get feedbacks to when it's when there's dry soils and you don't the, the dry soils can enhance the he, surface heating because you're not giving off water vapor to the atmosphere which you know releases um you can actually cool the environment slightly or or slow down that that kind of baking that happens under these ridges and so this current situation i think is pretty pretty rapid onset and specific uh to this location um and and a little bit unusual too because i do think it's it's what's going on at the mid-latitudes with this trophiness that, I don't know, maybe I think, I think it could be connected back to El Nino starting to reorganize the atmosphere. Is just holding up that ridge and um, causing it to kind of get blocked. And if you look at the forecast over the next couple of weeks, it does appear to strengthen a bit and then finally um, start to move north. And as you're gonna talk about in a little bit here, Zach, one of the things that can sort of mix this up a little bit is uh hurricanes and tropical storms forming off the coast of southern mexico that that can start to really get in there and shake things up a little bit
1: mm. yeah so um looking right now at at some of the the statistics of the um the forecast for heat this heat dome over it's it's sent it's it's centralized over Northern Mexico and, and, you know, heat indexes, uh, you know, 120 plus and basically the higher, the more extreme values here, you know, four and a half uh, standard deviations. Um, So really extreme situation um, playing out there. So much heat impacts likely, like you mentioned, the electricity and uh, among other things, Um, right? Just going back though to the persistence of it, and you said you mentioned the blocking. Is, is this a like thinking about it in terms of just the the natural progression of these ridges and troughs? Like, is this a time in which um, blocking happens more frequently, or or is this just vi- the vagarities of weather? Like, this this just happens sometimes.
2: Yeah, I, I I we've talked about this before, and I wish I could kind of. Remember what I had said. Make sure it's consistent. I I think um, it it is not as common, right? So the what we what we should see um, is like I talked about earlier is the normal climatological progression should be the expansion uh, of the subtropical highs and they sort of take over and move north in our summer season, right? And so the the jet stream and the waviness and the troughiness should re- start to retreat. Along the Canadian border and up into Canada, and then we then we are under kind of the doldrums of these high pressure systems. So it's not really blocking at that point. It's just sort of the, the large scale climatological ridge over the continental U.S. and and you know at our at our lines of latitude. So it is a little weird. The pattern that we're seeing right now is again I can't kind of keep saying it is that there's real strong waviness in the jet stream. And it is leading to some persistent cool temperatures and mild weather across the West. And and it includes us, it's starting to get edged out again. It's leading to that strong ridge over Canada, which is driving those wildfires. It's it's, uh, helping to enhance that high pressure system over uh, Texas and and Northern Mexico. And so they're all kind of related, right? And so I was just kind of clicking through the forecast and it the forecast starts to suggest that that's going to kind of get relaxed a little bit. And the ridge does push north because it's it's fighting against all of this extra energy in sunlight in the northern hemisphere. And so those gradients really do have to kind of go to the norm.
1: Yeah, I've, I've, I'm I'm looking at other things on Twitter right now and people are looking at the jet stream pattern and this waviness that you're talking about and using words like it's a really insane um jet stream pattern, um very wavy, even more so that it's June. So implications there that it's just sort of very uncommon for this, uh likely not unprecedented, but uh have to have to see what's 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 leading to that or if that will persist And hopefully like you said, it, it sort of relaxes and, and things return and the that ridge can move north and uh help jumpstart our monsoon, which you know brings me, I think brings us Mike to You know, talking a little bit about the beginning or the onset and and when that may be of of our 2023 monsoon. It's it's worth uh, putting this, I think, in a a little bit of a historical context, you know, coming uh, for those who uh, can't remember (laughs) the last two years, but uh, uh, really remarkable, remarkably wet, really interesting, vigorous monsoons. You two said generational
2: ago, already too. Two years
1: ago, we called it a generational, and 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 you know that character, you know the epicenter of the, the the monsoon was more in sort of Tucson to Phoenix area. You know that was sort of like where a lot of the monsoon. If you looked at a regional picture, that was sort of the core of the of the really wet uh, monsoon signal. And and then last year, you know, we had to say, again, it was a generational monsoon, which sort of undermined uh, the, the 2021 generational moniker. You know, and, and you know, sorry, I, sh- I should also go back and say in 2021, so two years ago, July for Tucson was just epic. And we probably, I'm not sure we'll ever see that again. You know, I think it had eight inches of rain in July at the, at the airport, right? Like, I think that was the wettest month on, on record of any month, you know, and that season for Tucson came in at the third wettest on, uh, on record. Again, it's like highly variable across the region. So just, just singling out at Tucson there. 2022 last year, not so much in Tucson, but like regionally actually more wet than the year before in 2021 so two two monsoons back to back that were just you know bonkers you know full gas like foot on the pedal the entire time seemed like and now that brings brings us to this year which has a completely different flavor which we'll get into Mike. So before I, I, I want to go over just a little bit of the review of the the, the monsoon dynamics and, and and its character. But anything that you want to say in terms of the historical context before, before the review?
2: No, I. You know, I, I, we were we were hoping, right? We were hoping we could do a third generational monsoon year. But I, I don't know. I I think we both kind of knew that it was going to be tough to pull
1: off. Yeah. Okay. Hard to do. We'll get, we'll get to that. Let's. Let's just review the monsoon, like just the, the general characteristics of it. Uh, so um, so um, <laughs> I always in my mind, I'm like, how do you start this conversation? Because the, the damn thing is so, so, so complicated. But I think the simplest way to think about it is, and this is like a very stupid thing to say, but the first, the first ingredient is obviously you have to have moisture. Right? The moisture mm-hmm. is the most important uh, thing. Um, that moisture can come in a, in a variety of ways. It's predominantly related to the position of this high pressure ridge that w- we've talked about. That position of the ridge, like where that is matters to whether or not we're sort of under easterly flow. If that If the ridge is sort of to our north, which is like a more north of let's say Southern Arizona, it's a more favorable position. We're sort of under easterly flow. The, the, the sort of counterclockwise movement around the high allows for moisture to to come up from, from, from our south. So that that moisture is critical, but it's, it's beyond the moisture. Obviously, if you don't have any moisture, you're not gonna have monsoon, but if you have moisture, then there's other ingredients that um, need to occur. You have to have some sort of dynamic instability and you can do that through a variety of ways, right? Like you can mechanically lift moisture-laden near-surface air, just by pushing air against topography, which raises it, that, that air cools, the moisture that's in the air sort of uh, rains out. It's why we, we, we tend to have more rainfall on, on, not 10, we do have more rainfall at the higher elevations, right? So you can do it sort of mechanically. You can also do it um, by heating the surface, convection, which drives moist air, buoyant air upwards, and then what comes into play there is sort of the, the the profile, the atmospheric profile, the temperature profile, in a column of atmosphere. And if you have like higher temperature gradients, you can generate more uplift, and you can bring lower level air that's that that is uh, richer in in, in in water vapor to cooler conditions and, and and rain it out. So your your temperature profile matters. Um, and you know we've had moisture around and we have had a lot of rain on the on on the peaks at the high elevations and none in the valleys and so in order to have this widespread rain we kind of actually have to have wind profiles that blow the 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 storms off the peaks and into the valleys and sort of generate the dynamics uh, necessary for more widespread precipitation so you've got you've got moisture you've got atmospheric instability you've got Wind, all of these things sort of matter. The position of the ridge um, sort of controls those, uh, at least the moisture, and all those things are s- sort of in 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 play. And um, you know, and again, in terms of the the sort of regional organizing features, not only is it wind um, that helps blow the storms off the uh, higher elevations, but you can have these westerly winds or westerly waves that come in. That create that dynamic instability. You can have these large, complex convective storms that sort of generate their own weather. These mesoscale convective systems, as they're called, you can have these Gulf surges that like help push moist, laden air up the up the um, Baja, you know, Gulf of California into the region and and really drive up the the moisture and precipitable water. So all of those things are sort of in play and. Um, really creates a um, dynamic season, a season that has high spatial variability, uh, a season that even when you have moisture around, the dynamics are such that there's inherent breaks. So if you get rain one day, it's really hard to generate multiple days of rain in a row because you get cloud cover that then suppresses, cools the the temperature and, and sort of slows down convection. So it's a it's a system that um, defies I think a bit of long scale prediction and it defies a a, a bit of uh, of our expectations here and there. That's what I would say, Mike. Anything you want to add to that general picture? That
2: was good, Zach. Nice, nicely done. The um, <laughs> I and I you were just driving. The whole point was to say that the the forecasting is hard, and yeah, you, <laughs> you think you're spot on because you put all those those pieces together. Yeah, I I I always get myself, I do the same thing, right? I get try to simplify it and then I then I open the box and oh my God, here's all the parts in the monsoon. And I try to close the box again and just try to think of first principles. And I you started this kind of the same way I would have too, is that thinking of that progression of the subtropical ridge. So that that mid-level high pressure system moving north, it's gonna, it's gonna modulate the moist tropical air mass to the south, which is the dividing line between the, de- I the, the, the desert air and, I to, and then the um, moist air to the south. And so that subtropical ridge position is really critical. And that's what I'm really looking at right now.
1: All right, so, so let's get to it. If you had to give me a color to describe your mood for the monsoon, I didn't prep you on this. That's so good. Yeah. <laughs> How about a number? I'll take a number. <laughs>
2: I think color's probably better. I think I'm at like,
1: I think I'm in like caution orange right now. Caution orange. Wow. I thought you were going to go like a deep, dark shade of gray.
2: Oh, really? Oh, wow. Like, like, like brooding, kind of like, oh.
1: Yeah, like more on the like the pessimism side. Like, I guess like a uh, caution orange is sort of like a pessimism, but it's like it has a sort of like lean toward optimism. So, yeah,
2: that's that's spot on. You, That's exactly where I'm at.
1: Wow. I So I would not have I would not have thought that. So tell me a little bit more about that because I would. Well, yeah, go ahead.
2: Yeah, no, I was just going to say is that, you know, we were we were chatting about analogs. If, if you want to kind of jump into that discussion. um
1: Yeah, go for it.
2: I, I think this is an interesting moment. Um, Well, part of it is, is that we've had really fantastic couple of monsoons and then a great winter. So our current drought situation is, is not as bad as it often is in this time of year when you're really just looking for things to break uh, as far as the monsoon to the, the heat to break and the moisture to come in. So I'm, I'm, I'm a little less like angsty about the rain coming in. I I'm excited and I want it to come in, um, but I'm, but I'm also Looking at past springs where we've seen a transition from uh, from neutral conditions or La Nina conditions into uh, an El Nino event, and I chose 1997 as my analog. So, do you want me to walk walk you through that analog, yeah, Zach, and then you can walk 90, me through yours?
1: 97 is interesting because it was, it was the onset of the super El Nino,
2: not mega El Nino, but not super mega. El Nino. But we let's okay,
1: we could say super mega El Nino.
2: I kind of like that. I don't know. I mean, like that. They can't retroactively. I mean, it's the most
1: known El Nino. It's the like when it, when you know the 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 common the non climate person has probably heard of the El Nino of nineteen ninety seven. Maybe that's maybe that's a stretch.
2: I mean, it is for us. I mean, like we certainly we certainly thought about it. I mean, that kicked um, it off.
1: Like that that year kicked it up in terms of like the the climate applications. Feel, yeah. Yeah. Right? Like how it's, it's a famous one for sure. Decision making, like that was the thing that the catalyst.
2: So it is kind of it's interesting that
1: hell sense. I
2: it's true. Well, I think like 82-83 scared the crap out of everybody. Like, oh god, what's this going on? We've had El Niños prior to that for sure, but the impacts were quite quite good. And then we had to kind of wait around to the 97-98 one to see another set of pretty dramatic impacts. And so so yeah, it's it's actually I think kind of interesting for us to kind of at least think about because I don't I don't know what the probability you know if if we could think back and there there wasn't the forecasting application at that point but did we know that was going to be a super mega I'm sorry a super El Nino uh, in June all we know is that we had a tr- quick transition from La Nina conditions. In the springtime into a pretty strong El Nino through the summertime. And, and so, Zach, we were talking about two. I think this is a little bit different than 2009, where the onset was a little bit later in the summer, and a little bit slower. This this feels, uh, well, it doesn't feel. We were observing that the, that the El Nino flexing right now is actually showing up in the atmosphere. And that was the same thing that happened in spring of 97. Of
1: Right so just to um go back to the the 2009 so 2009 was another year in which there was sort of a protracted la nina um that with a quick relatively quick transition into el nino something like what we're what we've experienced over the last couple of months so we had a, a a triple dip la nina and now and we'll talk about this in a minute but um you know now we're in full el nino and it it remains to be seen what what strength it'll ultimately arrive at, but, but El Nino is here and it's, it's, it's likely going to persist through the winter, uh, early yeah. of the winter.
2: Right, and, and I mean, there, it, it, the chance is not, uh, the, again, the forecasting is really hard on the strength of that, but CPC actually does put some, some numbers on it. And I think there's, there's over a 50% chance of the current event achieving a, a greater than two, I uh, sea surface temperature anomaly by the fall and into the early winter, which would put it in a strong category. Yep. Um, but right now, as Zach had said earlier, it's still the most likely outcome is a moderate. So we don't we don't know. We don't know if it's gonna turn into a 97, 98. All we know is that the pattern right now is, is similar in the spring to 97. What we saw in the atmosphere in 1997 in the spring, was really similar. It was coolish, it was wettish. Was, there was a trough that kind of hung out in the mid-latitudes and Uh, through June and into July, the onset of the monsoon was slow. Uh, The monsoon ridge had trouble progressing north, and there was a trough over the western U.S., and that led to very dry conditions across all of the southwest, uh, except for eastern New Mexico in that uh, July 97 period. But by the time you got into August, uh, that low had retreated off to the west coast and the ridge was able to build back, build up north into the western. And so the activity uh, and the moisture started to pick up in early August. And then in September, uh, Hurricane Nora actually moved its way up through the southwest and caused quite a bit of flooding and damage to uh, parts of Arizona.
1: Yeah, so I, you had mentioned that before and I looked at Ninety-seven, the monsoon season for tucson phoenix flagstaff albuquerque and uh, las cruces and yeah you're right the monsoon comes on um really at the end of july so in tucson you had a little couple days of looks like there was some monsoon activity probably rained uh, in a few places and maybe not so much at the airport but um really was sort of delayed there in, in, in Tucson, Phoenix, same thing. Like the first event at the airport was like just before the first of August, you know, maybe July 29th, something like that. So, I mean, a full month of, 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 of no rain for the most part. Flagstaff, very similar to Tucson. So very little rain through, uh, through the end of, of, of July. Albuquerque, Albuquerque and Las the New Mexico part is a little bit different. Um, yeah, yep. You know, it does look like Al- Albuquerque sort of started started um, started slow as well. And you know, if if you get rid of one event in 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 Las Cruces that happened, like yeah, like happened like June fifteenth, which probably wasn't even monsoon, then it's a it's a late start there too. So yeah, so you know if if ninety seven is turns out to be a useful analog and plays out to be true, yeah i guess i g- i guess the picture here is is a pretty um delayed and, and and dry first month and I would say though if when you look at August and September, you know that's it's a different character, and if you just got rid of July, then the monsoon would sort of look more average if not a little bit above average for those those other places. So, so maybe the analog is a good one for, for July, but not so good for the with the exception, however, that El Ninos tend to increase um, activity in the Eastern Pacific hurricane tropical storm activity. And obviously, you know, that sort of comes in, um, you know, in September for, for, for us and can really change the, you know, the statistics, maybe not like our, our, you know qualitative assessment of the of the monsoon but certainly can change the statistics
2: absolutely so you know what are the chances of it being a useful analog yeah pretty low i mean that's how, that's how analogs work but you know it was an interesting like a couple of of similarities at least at the early part of the season but you know we'll just have to kind of watch really closely those first couple of weeks of july to see if that trough continues to hang out and it is strong, and it's it's causing the ridge to really have trouble moving north, or if it sort of weakens, the ridge could come in quite quickly. So even before you pointed out
1: ninety seven um, to me, I was thinking I wasn't real confident on. It just doesn't feel like the monsoon is, is is close, and I know we're a week away. And 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 for those, I'm sure that are the the listeners know uh, for the most part that. You know, historically the onset of the monsoon is around the first, you know, first week of July. Like I think for Tucson, it's July fourth. And it it changes depending on where you are, and it gets a little bit later as you as you move north. So we're right now, we're still a week away from the monsoon, but um, it doesn't look like that that ridge is 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 marching in the right direction. And and so I was sort of, you know, thinking about what July was gonna look like, and you know, I'm I'm very pessimistic of of a a good July. And I would say that I I looked at the uh, the models, I went to the North American multi-model ensemble, looked under the hood. We we noted this on our last pod, Um, but there isn't one model in this ensemble that has a favorable precipitation pattern for the monsoon in July. So I'm looking at the one month lead for July. Every single one of them shows a below-average sort of precipitation signal, and again, like it, with like a really pronounced dry signal at the core of the monsoon in Mexico.
2: So yeah, that that's the the kind of the troubling part for me is the um, the forecast for dry conditions extends all the way into the heart of the monsoon. Uh, down in Mexico, and there's just there's no good, easy way for us to get to have it be better than it is there.
1: No, um, you know, if you look out at the at the August of so the two month lead time, uh, which again, like I preface this in the beginning by stating I'm a seasonal climate skeptic, and I am a I'm definitely a skeptic of what I'm about to say with the two month lead time. Um, but the the point I would make is that there is more variance in the models for the august which i look for because it's a it's a it's a glimmer of hope um i i think i i i tend to lend a little bit more credence to the models in 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 aggregate when they're all seeing something similar as they are in july august is 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 again like by and large a a sort of dry signal but there is some variance there one of the models the ncar model has a, a, a slight uh, wet signal for Southern Arizona, you know, the um, the CFS version two, the inset model, the, the the operational model is sort of um, not leaning one way or the other, you know, um, and a Canadian model is not leaning one way. So anyway, there's, there's some variance there, which, which leads me to give less confidence in, in the models. But I, you know, I, I I want to go back and just say that like they had been these models, we had noted this before in uh, on our last pod and even the CPC forecast had been calling for below average. Like in the past, I below average for the, for July and actually for the, the, the monsoon season as a whole. And in the past I have just been totally dismissive of that. And boy, I, I don't know why I'm I'm turning my head. There, there may be like more signals favoring this. And I'm just like watching it more. And like that position of the ridge seems like it's stickier. All of the signals are sort of pointing to, you know, we're not, the monsoon should be a little bit more closer. It's on the horizon than it feels right now. So, you know, I did look at the skill masks and I reached out to a, um, a friend who knows a lot more about this seasonal forecasting than I do. And you know there is a little skill for the july 4 uh, seasonal forecast in the in our area so i'm like well maybe there's more to it than i have been getting credit for um so i'm a little bit more reluctant to be dismissive i think of the seasonal forecast this year particularly as all the signs are pointing one way um and so maybe that's a a, a new a new position for me going forward. I'll have to sort of reconcile that because I am deeply a, cli- a seasonal climate skeptic when it comes to the monsoon.
2: Well, I, I'm only, I feel like that we're, we're hanging on El Nino's signal right now. Like we don't have that every year. And the fact that this is, you know, a bit, it's certainly leaning a bit stronger than it normally is at this time of the year and this kind of progression and the past correlations and the research I'll suggest that this this is um, what you would expect at this point. So I don't think we're, I I think that the models are picking up on what we understand about how the system is a little bit tweaked right now. But we also know in the research and in the historical analogs that it, that signal doesn't really extend into August. So that's where um, I'm still kind of holding out hope that this could just be a late start. And then we, we carry on with. I don't know if we'll be able to race to above-average totals, but maybe we can eke out an average by having some catch-up in in August. And as you mentioned too, the East Pacific uh, tropical storm system having an you know having an enhanced signal and more storms roaming around loads the dice a little bit more for the Southwest. So that that I those are all kind of positive.
1: Okay, a lot of things there come back to the forecast in a minute, uh, the, the hurricane forecast, and I also want to come back to your forecast. But let me just ask, so currently ENSO is in, it's right at its, its El Nino threshold. So it's an El Nino at the moment. The expectation um, is that it will persist at a high probability at 90% or or greater through the October, November, December um, season. You know, that it only slightly declines thereafter. So by January, February, March, it's like at a 75% chance of it being an El Nino. So, okay, so we've got an El Nino. Um, The question is like, what sort of will it, what strength will it become? There's a whole bunch of different model versions of this. They put together, you know, statistical ensemble forecasts as well as looking at like the dynamical models and 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 what they're they're forecasting. So when you look at all of those together, you know, NOAA describes the odds of it becoming a strong event uh, are pretty good at slightly above 50%. So 56% for it becoming a strong event. And it's like a real high probability that it will be a moderate event. Um, uh, greater than an eighty-four percent chance of it being a moderate event, and then if you look into the models, you know there's some the super El Nino, if you will, you know would would you might start calling it that when it exceeds like when it gets close to temperature anomalies in a certain region in the tropical Pacific Ocean being around you know two uh, degrees Celsius above average, you know, and there are some models that like. You know, reach there. I think the expectation is that be, it's possible, but probably won't won't crest um, at that at that level. But the question for you, Mike, is: Let's say, does it matter if we're will we would we be able to see a difference in a moderate event versus, let's say, we're knocking we're knocking really hard at at like a, a super El Nino or not really?
2: It's a good question. Mm, it. Okay. So first off, across the Southwest, the, the, and the El Nino signal is strongest across the southern halves of Arizona and New Mexico. And that's during the winter season, right? So that's kind of like, you got to bracket it all the way to that to even start to look for some kind of meaningful historical impacts. And as we've probably ad nauseum over the last decade, Talked about the El Nino side of the coin can give us can give us different outcomes. <laughs> 2015, 2016, we were pretty excited about the the Godzilla El Nino, and it it threw us a curveball, and it actually ended up becoming largely a below average winter season for much of the Southwest. Uh, but we've had other moderate like a moderate El Nino of t- so this is interesting. You're kind of analog sack of 2009. Uh, that summer we were transitioning in. If you remember, this is, remember we started the FEMA project right about that time? Uh, 2009, December, very wet, flooding across Arizona, record snow in, um, at that point anyways, in Flagstaff. Uh, There was some record rain in a couple of events in in January, across parts of it, so it was a real short, punchy El Nino event that brought uh, quite a bit of precip in December, January, February for 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 Arizona for parts of Arizona. So it's like El Ninos are useful, I think, because they do enhance the East Pacific subtrop- East Pacific tropical storm season. So that's something for us to kind of like pay attention to this fall that would even extend in October it can enhance the storm check pretty early in the season could drop south could give us some wetter conditions usually the peak impacts are in January February March down here if the event is kind of extending and then we're kind of usually out of the action by by the end of that period so I mean that's that's kind
1: of where I'm at on all this yeah. is there any connection between the strength of the El Nino and like the position of the subtropical high or the strength of the subtropical high, or is this just is it is is the position more dominated by like you know what is i mean I know that this is a hard question it's figuring out like what is actually controlling the the wobble on that that
2: yeah, it's actually. Well, I, th- I think you meant the subtropical jet, right? Because we no, are you talking I mean, about the high in the summer or the jet in the winter?
1: No, I'm sorry. I I'm talking about the position, like our four corners high.
2: Oh, okay. Um. Okay. So correlations in June at that level is um is weak, but it it does suggest that an El Nino on un- underway is gonna cause the subtropical high to have trouble progressing north in June. And it extends into July, but by the time you get to August, that correlation actually goes away.
1: Okay, that's where I was going.
2: Yeah, yeah.
1: So, so that would lead one might, might to think that like like ENSO and what the evolution and strength of ENSO is maybe less important for for our thinking about August. Uh, in terms of rainfall um in the in the southwest for the monsoon. But that there is some correlation. It's weak, as you mentioned, um, between ju- June, subtropical high position, and, and so uh and maybe that extends a little bit in, into July. It's weak, but the patterns it, it's there. And that's actually what we're seeing right now, which is what I, you mentioned.
2: Earlier. I think it's exactly I think it's exactly what we're seeing uh right now. Okay. Yeah, and it, and, it, and this is this is research. This is a, you know Chris Castro's work from quite a while ago. It's it's been in other numerous other papers too. That it, the signal is strongest for the southwest in the monsoon at the beginning, and it usually washes out by August. And then the other side is is that you do get that enhanced tropical storm risk in September.
1: Yeah, and so just on those forecasts. So usually the signal is El Nino suppress hurricane activity in the Atlantic basin, and they slightly enhance hurricane activity in the Pacific basin. Part of the reason they suppress it and enhance it has to do with like wind shear. So there's higher wind shear in the Atlantic and less wind shear in the, in the Pacific. And that like, like higher windshield, like helps tear these these storms apart and and and, and inhibits their their formation. Um, the the other driving force of of course is sea surface temperatures and he, there's a a little bit maybe of a of a nuance to to this year that we didn't have you know 97 98 although I, d- I don't I don't know because um, I haven't looked at the sea surface temperature patterns but there is widespread heat. Like if you look at, and there's been some insane figures floating around of of just the average Atlantic sea surface temperature, you know, it's at record level when you average the sea surface temperatures across the Atlantic. And then when you just look at a map globally, I mean, there's like, there's, it's warm, it's not warm everywhere. It's warm in a lot of places. And so I'm wondering, I don't know if you have any thoughts on how that might, might, might play a role. Because on the one hand, for, for the Atlantic, you know, you've got this wind shear that's suppressing, but you've got higher um, sea surface temperatures, with, which is enhancing. And I guess the, the converse is the El Ninos um, suppressing wind shear but, and the, the higher sea surface temperatures are probably leading, both of those are sort of playing into, a you know, a, an enhanced uh, Pacific Ocean Uh, Tropical storm activity and and just to give people the the forecasts in the in the Pacific, the forecasts by NOAA are for you know above average uh, activity. So the average named storms, you know, over the 1991 to 2020 period are are 15. The number of those that are that are hurricanes are eight, and then of those eight hurricanes, four reach a, a major hurricane strength. So that's the average. The forecast is. NOAA's forecast is between fourteen and twenty name storms, seven and eleven hurricanes, and four to eight major hurricanes. So all of those um, metrics are are tilting toward above average activity. I should also note that the Mexico National Meteorological Service also does their forecasts, uh, and they're slightly higher uh, than NOAA, so by 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 a couple storms. So sixteen to twenty two name storms versus no is 14 to 20, so.
2: That's busy. That is really busy.
1: Busy. Um, you know, I would also say that, you know, 1992 had 27 named storms in the East Pacific. And on the flip side, 2010 had eight. So it goes, yeah. it goes both ways. So, um, and, you know, all that does for us is later on in the year, so September, October, when, these storms that um, sort of form to our south as they migrate north, right? They then become under the westerly flow and they can recurve back into our area. Um, So so that's why we tend to get, you know, uh, storms in remnant tropical storms that can affect, you know, September and, and October um, precipitation here in the Southwest because they they actually become entrained in the westerly flow and move into our our region.
2: It's also an interesting way to get precip in this crappy pattern that we might be stuck in into July because what you just described, Zach, would be that kind of that trough hanging off the West Coast in California, and our ridge isn't quite. Built north, but we're still in southwesterly flow. That's that's still an open door to take any early season tropical storms that form off the coast of Mexico and drag them up here, right? So, under a really mature monsoon ridge, you're gonna shunt, you're gonna shunt all of those um, storms out into the Pacific. But if we're hanging out in the springtime pattern, you can actually drag them up into Arizona in June and July, and we've we've seen that in in previous kind of kickoffs to monsoon seasons
1: all right so what's your prediction give me your monsoon prediction oh well are you talking the whole season well you know break it down for me i, I want to know your whole season but if you if you yeah. want the, the, the breakdown i'll take that
2: So Arizona and Western New Mexico are gonna be below average for July. I just don't see any way around that. Eastern New Mexico's Great Plains East spring um, precip. Uh, So they may actually be a little bit wetter because we're out of that. By August, I expect the monsoon ridge to start to build a little bit north and maybe even just kind of flatten out and that we're, we're finally into the moisture. And then we maybe we're even interacting with some tropical disturbances that are actually coming up. What we need to have happen by August is to have at least have the ridge far enough north that we can get some easterly waves to, to not be so far south that they're going through Northern Mexico, but that they're actually high enough north that we can start to benefit from that. Otherwise, we're gonna be, we're gonna be stuck in kind of bursts and breaks of afternoon thunderstorms. They may get stuck on mountains. Um, that, that could be our, our kind of fate. By September, monsoon really is usually out the door because that ridge starts to sag uh, back south by the first week of September. Then we'll be back into this transition pattern. And then I'd be looking to see if we could get any tropical storm moisture that's directed up uh, into the southwest as we transition. So August, I'm hoping we can squeak out average precip. September is going to either be boom or bust either going to be a tropical storm that's going to soak up some places maybe not others maybe all of Arizona maybe not New Mexico or it's we're going to just kind of tail out of this uh, whimpering monsoon season
1: not 2020 though
2: no I don't see that I, I don't um could that happen yeah <laughs> it's totally possible but I don't I don't think the backdrop is quite the
1: same all right so I'm similar I think by and large we're gonna come in at, you know, a pretty bad monsoon. Like I think it's it's gonna try to, it's gonna, it's gonna be behind the eight ball the entire year because it's gonna be a, a a delayed start. I think I think July is gonna be bad, uh below average, a lot below average uh across the entire monsoon region. I'm gonna like discard eastern New Mexico and just think about the monsoon the more monsoon climate of, of, uh, Western New Mexico and, and Arizona. So, right. And I agree with you. I don't see there's a way for July to, once it starts to make up what it, what it lost. Uh, and, yeah. and, and consequently, I think when you just take off a couple weeks of monsoon activity, like every other metric that we would use frequency amount, blah, blah. All of those things are are just, it's, you You would need a much above average other, like uh, other periods to make up for that. I don't think that's going to happen in, in this year. Yes, it could happen. So I think we're going to come in, like if I had to put numbers on, let's say Tucson, for example, I think it's going to be like more like the 60 to 70% of average, you know, and I would say that that would probably hold also for Phoenix and, 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 Flagstaff and Albuquerque. Uh, now Las Cruces and El Paso, um, I think potentially could fare, um, could fare a little bit better. And I would maybe tip the scales a little bit more, more to that. Again, the wild card is what you mentioned, the East Pacific. Like I think we have a greater opportunity, greater chances for more more tropical storm influence, but those statistics still aren't great to begin with. So if I'm a, a betting person, I'm still like taking the under on like whether or not like we get hit with, with, with one uh, on those. I think this, I, I think it's a, there's greater chances, but still like uh, I would still favor with, um, you know, maybe the conditions just don't, j- just don't occur uh, and, and they don't tip the scales one way or the other. So yeah, I agree. It could be boom or bust. And if I had to if I had to side on, I, I would side on bust just because the the sheer numbers are 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 in favor of the bust on, on on that. So it's not a generational monsoon on the wet side or on the dry side. Um it's kind of a boring monsoon, if that's even possible. I don't actually think I'm taking that one back. Strike that from the record, because no monsoon is boring, right? Um I,
2: yeah, I agree. Yep.
1: Um, but it is, you know, and there'll be periods like every single monsoon where, you know, there's a fantastic, you know, seven day or 10 day period and it gets us all excited and, and and it'll leave us wanting because it'll be few and far between. So that's my forecast. And Oh, by the way, um, we are bringing back the fantasy monsoon forecast. I don't think this pod is going to drop in time, but for all of those who have played in the two years past and that uh, are playing this year, kudos like we're excited to experience and 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 revel in the monsoon with you so so thanks for that uh but those are that's my my that, that's my um ju- i just gave you my july forecast and my seasonal forecast and that's what i'll have in the in the monsoon fantasy forecast so i'm sticking with my my uh my handle which is make it rain mike are you still the same what's your handle 2.54 you point point—that's a good one, man. That's really good.
2: actually—I want a vanity plate in Arizona <laughs> that's two point fifty-four. I, I've actually looked into it, so
1: that's classic. Damn! I'm excited for you. I'm bummed. It makes me—my <laughs> my name isn't nearly as creative. Um, all right. What else? Anything? Final parting shots? No, I mean, I, we had a we had a pretty pretty upbeat conversation
2: about a potentially bad monsoon so good good on us right
1: well we'll see uh you know we you should always start optimistically right yeah
2: yeah even in
1: 2022 i think we started we were probably so high then on at the beginning that that's why the letdown was so dramatic and like i still remember you with the quote like i i think you slacked it to me i'm gonna run down i-10 naked screaming <laughs> <laughs> I
2: that was a rough get one more dry rough. day <laughs> do you remember I mean it was like I mean we could we should have a whole podcast just like commiserating on, or just nostalgia about how bad 2020 was like COVID and that and everything's on fire and it was just yeah I, I was I was at the breaking point for sure but um, but yeah we've had some some beautiful beautiful rain across the southwest since then so um I'm hoping you know I I don't think it'll be cataclysmic, but I think some places are going to be dry this summer, and that'll that'll cause some problems and it'll, it'll cause some hurt. But um, hopefully, we can pick something up in August and September, and then move into another like maybe get another wet winter. That could that could be really good for the Southwest.
1: All right. Well, as always, thanks everybody for tuning in. Thanks to Stacy Reese for um, for producing this and our longtime. Colleague Ben McMahon for producing all of those in the past. So thanks, everybody. Thanks, Zach.
0: I'm only happy when it rains.